It's uh, good to be with you this morning via um, uh, our online church this morning at uh, Regina Apostolic Church. It's a joy to be with you. And uh, the theme that I was given to speak on this weekend is the same theme from the youth retreat. It's found in Romans chapter 8, verse 31 and 32, and this is what it says. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him for all of us, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? When I think of uh, the first part of that verse, if God is for us, who can be against us? I, I just think of the year 2020, and I think of all of the things that seemingly have been against us this particular year. This is an appropriate verse, and we're not even all the way through the year. Verse 31 says, what shall we say then in response to <clears throat> these things? The things that was Paul was referring to are listed in the previous chapters in the letter to the, the church in Rome, starting in chapter 5. And they're all truths who we, uh, about who we are in light of what Christ has done for us through the shedding of his blood on the cross. It constitutes a tremendous understanding of where we're seated with Jesus. And so this morning, before we get to chapter 8, verse 31 and 32, I want to talk about quickly some of those things and just kind of alliterate some, what some of them are. I'm going to read just uh, a highlight of each particular portion that, uh, that I came through and listed in each of the chapters. And when I get to the end of a particular portion, just I'm going to say, and all of God's people said, and those of you that are home listening to this, your response to that is amen if you find yourself in any of these verses. So we're starting in Romans 5 and verse 1. Uh, it says, I'm justified by faith. I have no need to attempt to appease God by my own works. Verse 1 also says, I now have peace with God as a result of what he's done. His requirement for relationship with me is settled. It's done. Verse 2 said, I've been given access to stand in his grace. Verse 3 says, any of the suffering I experience now has a purpose. It brings me endurance. Verse 4 says, my endurance will produce character. And finally, my character will produce hope. And all God's people said, amen. Verse 5 says, I can trust this hope as it won't bring me to shame. Understand that this morning. This hope won't bring you to shame. Verse 6 says, Jesus died for me because I wasn't capable of producing my own righteousness. Verse 8, Christ died for me when I was at my worst. Not when I was at my best, but when I was at my worst, He gave His life for me. Verse 9 says, I'm justified by His blood. And it says, I'm saved from His wrath. And all of God's people said, Amen. Further on in chapter 5, verse 10, I'm reconciled to and made friends with God. Imagine that. You're a friend with God. Not many people can say that, but you have a biblical basis in Romans chapter 5 and verse 10 to believe that's true. Verse 15 says, Sin made me dead, but Jesus' death made me alive to Him. Verse 18, I am justified and I have new life as a result. Verse 19, I am made righteous. I and you are made righteous. We're made righteous. Number 20, verse 20, His grace overcompensated or overextended for the sin of my life. It was more than enough for the sin of my life. Finally, I have eternal life now. And all of God's people said, Amen. <clears throat> Romans 6, verse 3 said, I was baptized 
into the death of Jesus, and then I was buried with him, in verse 4, in death. As Christ was raised, so am I raised to newness of life. Verse 6, crucifying my old self means I'm no longer a slave to sin. Hear me. I'm no longer a slave to sin in accordance to Romans chapter 6 and verse 6. Verse 7, I am set free from sin. This is not a hypothetical. This is an actual law. It's actually true for you, whether you experience that this morning or not. It's true. And all of God's people said, Amen. Continuing on in chapter 6, verse 9, As death no longer has dominion over Christ, death no longer has dominion over me. So I have nothing to be fearful of when it comes to that. Verse 12, I now have the power to keep sin from reigning over my life. Verse 18, Previously I was a slave to sin, but now I am slave to righteousness. Now I have sanctification. Now I will live forever. And all of God's people said, Amen. Skipping down to chapter 8, verse 1, I'm no longer condemned. And that's such a huge thing for us. We need to understand that when condemnation comes into our heart and into our mind and into our spirit, that's not from the Lord. That's from the enemy. And we need to deal with it as such. The Bible tells me that as a result of what Jesus did, I'm no longer condemned. Verse 2, I'm free from the law of sin and death. Verse 6, as I set my mind on the things of the Spirit, I'll have life and I'll have peace. Verse 11, His Spirit dwells in my mortal body, and as a result, I am promised life in my mortal body. And all of God's people said, Amen. I hope you're saying Amen. I can't hear you, but I'm trusting in faith that that's the case. Romans chapter 8, verse 13, I am a son of God, I am a daughter of God, according to verse 13. Verse 15, I've received the spirit of adoption, and I call him my father. He is my father. Verse 16, his spirit in me tells me, it witnesses to me that I am his child. I don't have to think about that. I don't have to worry about that. The scripture tells me that his spirit that dwells within me witnesses with me that I'm actually his child. And if I'm his child, verse 17, and I'm also his heir. And all of God's people said, Amen. Chapter 8 and verse 18, there is a great glory that's coming to be revealed in you and I. That's something we can look forward to. Verse 25, during hard times, I can wait and trust in anticipation for his deliverance. Verse 26, his spirit helps me in my weaknesses. Verse 27, his spirit intercedes for me before the Father. So he doesn't leave me on my own. He's actually there with me interceding and helping me. Verse 28, as a result, all things in my life are going to work together for my good. Verse 29, he has predestined me to be shaped into his image. And verse 29, he called me, he justified me, and he will glorify me on that day. And all God's people said, amen. And then he goes past verse 31 as if that wasn't enough. Three or four chapters is not enough. He goes past that and he, and he continues to discuss some of the great things about what the death of Christ on the cross has produced in our lives. Verse 32, he didn't spare his son, but he sent him to die in my place. So I don't have to die for my own sins, even if that were possible, and it's not, because that's not the way that the system has been set up. But he said, because they can't die for their sins, because they can't compensate for them, because they can't pay for them, I will send my only son to die on the cross. Verse 32, if he'll give up his son for me, 
He'll give me everything. That's what the scripture says. Verse 33, there's no charge that can come against me that will stick because he's my justifier. No matter what the enemy tries to do, no matter what the flesh condemns me for, no matter what the enemy accuses me for, the Bible says that he stands as my justifier and no charge will stick in my life. Verse 34, there is one who, condemn, who can condemn me because, there's, sorry, there is no one who can condemn me because Jesus died, he was buried, he rose from the dead, and he now sits, if you will, as my lawyer before God the Father, interceding on my behalf. And all of God's people said amen. And finally he said, no one will separate me from the love of Christ. I think that's one of the greatest encouragements today. No one will separate me from the, the love of Christ, verse 35. It also says, no tribulation, no distress, no persecution, no famine, no nakedness, no danger, no sword. There's nothing that's going to separate me from the love of Christ. Nothing. And when he says nothing, he means nothing. Verse 37, I'm not just a conqueror. I'm actually more than a conqueror. And this isn't my doing. This isn't me that's produced this. This isn't something that I've thought up and said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to accomplish this standing my, on my own. This is something that the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ has produced in my life. Finally, he said in verse 38, chapter 8, verse 38, the book of Romans, what can pull me away from God's love? Not death, not life, not angels, not rulers, not things present today, not something that's going to come in the future for those of you that are fearful of what's down the road, not powers or heights, not depth, nothing in creation. And then he finishes it by saying, nothing can separate me from the love of God in Christ Jesus my Lord. And all God's people, all God's people should say amen to that. Going back to verse 31. This is what the message, the request for this weekend was predicated on. What, can I, what do I say about all of these things? The things that I just mentioned, going back to chapter 5 and probably before that, it wasn't exhaustive. But from chapter 5 through to, through to the book of Romans, chapter 8, verse 31, verse 32, what do I say about all of those things? In light of that, if all of that is true and God is for me, it's not possible for someone to successfully be against me. As a result of what we've just read, my question for you this morning is, what is your personal response to Romans chapter 8? When it says that he is for us, and as a result, no one else can be against us, how do you respond to that particular chapter and verse? Its very reality has the potential to affect our lives in a dramatic way. If the Lord is that powerful that no one can stand against me if he's with me, ask yourself this question. If that's true, what could you and I do for the kingdom of God as a result? How do you apply this verse to your life? First, you need to believe that all of the truths that I've mentioned to you are true. They all apply to you and I not just to the super spiritual people, but to the people who struggle every day of their life in one way, shape, or form. Nothing's perfect for us. We're just everyday Joes. And the stuff that we go through is not unusual as compared to anybody else that we meet with when we come to church on a Sunday morning. 
They apply to us as much as they apply to the people that are on the platform, <clears throat> the people that are behind the cameras. Number two, we need to believe that all of these truths apply to us, not just some of them, not just a couple, but every single one of them. So everything I just reiterated to you this morning is absolutely true for you and for me. And finally, if they're true, then I need to look into my life for the effect that they would be having on my life today because they're true. And if they're true, they should have an effect in my life. So let's take that one truth that my message is predicated on. If God is for me, who or what can be against me? This is true for everyone who knows Christ as Savior, but many of us don't allow this to make a daily difference in our life. Listen closely. There are many Christians, especially in Western culture, many Christians who are destined by God to do something great for Him, but instead of living out their destiny, they've, they've hesitated, they've procrastinated, and in many cases, they've walked away from it. Why is that? Now, when I say that they're destined to do something great, the reality is anytime the Father in heaven, anytime the creator of the universe tags you as an individual and says, I have something I want you to do, whatever it is, it's a great thing. And it's not great because you're chosen, and it's not great because the act is something that other people would look at and say, wow, that's tremendous. I can't even believe you can walk on water. I didn't think that was even possible. No, it's not based on how the act appears. The greatness is in the fact that the Creator has spoken to you as the creation and said, I want to involve you in my kingdom. That's what makes it great. Your destiny is not to be compared to somebody else's destiny. It's just simply your willingness to be obedient to the call of God in your life, whatever that happens to look like. That's what He wants you to do. So why is it that so many people maybe walk away from that? There's a few reasons for it. Sometimes we believe that the scriptures that speak about this apply to everyone else, but not to us. In other words, he'll be with everyone else in the face of adversity, but he won't be with me. It's just not possible. I don't know why we think we're special, but we do. That's how we act. We act like we're different than other people. Hear me this morning when I tell you, or whenever you're listening to this. You're not that special, that he would treat you differently when it comes to the application of his word in your life. His word will not return to you, to him void, as it passes through your life and your destiny, if you'll just simply accept it as his will for your life. It includes you. When he calls us to take a step of faith, to jump off the dock into the Father's arms, if you will, we think that sometimes his promise to catch us is not going to prove out. <clears throat> you won't find that in the Bible. What you're suggesting is God will fail you, whereas he won't fail other people. It's just not true. I understand the concept, but it's not true. Secondly, there are those who have had a disappointing experience in their past, and it's affected their ability to trust the Father ever since that experience. So, for example, maybe he's spoken to you and said, <clears throat> I want you to do this, and uh, you've made an attempt at that, but for whatever reason, <clears throat> it hasn't come to pass. And uh, maybe whatever the reason is, I don't know what the reason might be. Maybe you didn't hear well, or maybe you misinterpreted what he wanted to do, and that's entirely feasible. That doesn't make, make you a failure. That just means that for whatever reason, you, you stepped towards what he had for you, 
and it didn't turn out as you thought it would. Understand disappointment. Most of us can write at least a small book on some of those things. But he doesn't want us to wait back at the, at the turn of disappointment. He wants us to move on from there. And he wants you to move on from there this morning because he has something that's glorious that he wants you to fulfill. Number three, some of us are asleep. We act and believe like this is all there is to our Christianity. And really nothing else is expected of us. There may be a God in heaven. Of course, he saved us and we're going to go to heaven when we die. But in terms of any interaction between him and us here, unless there's an emergency and we need something uh, in our lives more than what we would normally be able to be capable of looking after ourselves, we, we don't need to expect him to intervene because he'll just leave us alone, which is not biblical, but I know a number of people that believe that. And finally, many Christians have forgotten what this thing called the church is all about. <clears throat> Let me tell you what it's not about. It's not about the programs. It's not about faithful attendance to a large group meeting once a week where they come in, you put your nickel in the plate, they count your nose, and then you come back next week and you do the same thing. It's not what it's about. It's not about paying the bills, although it's important to pay bills. The church does not exist so that it can just pay the bills. It's not about having a great building, and there's nothing wrong with having a great building. It's not being lulled into a place of comfort and coming and expecting that, as the scriptures talk about, our ears are going to be tickled and we're going to leave feeling really good about ourselves. I'm not saying that we need to be condemned. On the other hand, if the Holy Spirit has something to say to us, then we need to listen really closely to it. And sometimes He will convict us, not condemn us, but He will convict us of the place that we find our lives in and ask us to make a change because He loves us and He doesn't want to leave us the way we are. Many Christians have forgotten about that. As I said, many of us are comfortable having our ears tickle each time that we attend and hearing something that makes us feel good about ourselves. <clears throat> but that's not what the church is about ultimately. It's about Matthew 28, 18. And this is what Jesus said just as he was preparing to leave the earth. He said, Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. So the same command, the same commission that he gave to the disciples on that day, and that he reiterated just before the day of Pentecost, that command is trans transferred down to us here and this day in 2020. It's to you, it's to me, it's to all of us. That's what we're called to do. And until he returns to get us, or until we pass from this earth, we have a destiny to fulfill within the context of that great commission. And everyone's destiny is different, but it's all for the same purpose. And that's what he's called us to. So when the scripture talks about, if God be for us, who can be against us? The truth is, no one can be against us if he's for us. He is for us, and therefore there isn't anybody that can stand against us. But what would they stand against us for? That which they'd stand against us for would be against the kingdom of God and the work that he's called us in our destiny to fulfill. The Bible tells us that we don't have to worry about that, that he's got it. If he's given us all of these things in accordance with the chapter 5, 6, 7, and 8, then you can be assured of the fact that if he gave his son and he gave all those things as a result of giving his son, 
that whatever it is that we need, He's going to give to us. So my challenge to you this morning, or whenever you're hearing this, my challenge to you is that you would give your life as an act of destiny to the Father as if no one can stand against you in the midst of His will. And if you'll do that, I'll tell you that your Christianity will begin to make sense in ways that it never made sense before. God has promised through His Word that He will be with you and I, not simply to give us a comfortable life, but to prepare us to be part of fulfilling His great commission, taking our part, applying it to that commission, and doing His will. Let me leave you with three things that I feel really strongly the Lord's laid on my heart. Three reasons to take this scripture to heart on a daily basis and make it part of your life. Number one, I believe there's people that are listening this morning <clears throat> that God has a provision that He wants to give to you. Now this is a little strange maybe for some of you. Most of us think a provision is I need extra money at the end of the month to pay my bills and He'll do that. He's promised that. But this is a different provision. This is a provision that He would give into your life for the purposes of expanding the kingdom of God. You don't have it now. You know that it's something that He's promised to you and He's told you in the past, maybe prophetically, or in your spirit, in your heart, you can just sense it, that if, if this came to pass, that it would provide something. The word is provide. It would provide something to you that you then could use for the sake of the kingdom of God. Let me encourage you not not to wait on that. At the same time, don't try and produce it. But your job is to go to prayer and seek the face of the Father and ask Him to show you where that provision can come from and be willing and obedient to use it for His purposes when the time comes that He gives it to you. And there's many things that you think are against you as a result of that particular promise in your spirit. You say, well, I'd like to see that come to pass, but there's this and there's this and there's this. The truth is none of those things matter. You're not asked to make a change in any of those things. You're just asked to be obedient. So pray into that provision, number one. God has a provision for some people that are listening this morning that He wants to give to you for the sake of His kingdom. Number two, God has a goal that He wants you to reach, a particular goal. It's not maybe a, a weight loss goal, although... Um, I, I know that, uh, that that's something that's really a, a strong thing in a lot of people's mind. Maybe it's a financial goal in some of your mind. I'm not sure exactly what it is. But I can say that it's a goal, again, going back to the Scriptures, it's a goal that will help fulfill the destiny of God in your life. All right? And uh, it's something that, that He's already said, you're here and this is the end of the goal and you need to reach this. And you're not sure exactly how to get from here to there. The truth of the matter is He'll tell you. All right? So don't look at that goal and make it so big and so ostentatious and, and, and so massive that it's not possible for you to even consider it. You just, you just even walk away from it and say, oh, there's no way that'll ever happen. No, that's not up to you. It's not up to you to figure out how to get from here to the end of that goal. It's up to you to be willing to allow the Lord to bring Romans chapter 8 into your life in the way that it says is true. He's for you. He's not a cosmic tease. He's not going to give you a goal and say, I know you can never reach that. You know, like, like touch my hand when you, with your three-year-old child and you know that there's no possibility that he can jump high enough to touch your hand. God's not that way. 
He's not that way. If he's placed this in your heart, you can be assured of the fact he's something that he wants you to possess. But you can't possess it in your own striving, in your own accomplishments, your own ability, your own strength, only through your obedience and your willingness to listen to him. God has a goal he wants you to reach. And finally, God has a battle that he wants you to win. 2020 has been uh, a year of grief for many people. And I know when we talk about grieving, we think of things like uh, death and those kind of things. There's a lot of change that's gone on. We're not out of the woods yet when it comes to this. But we need to treat 2020 as a year, as not a swear word, but as the day that the Lord has made, in spite of what we're experiencing in the midst of it. And if this is true, and we don't understand it, I'm not suggesting we understand it, but in the midst of that, that scripture applies it as well. And no matter what comes up against us in this year, it will not stand against us because He's for us. And so whatever the battle is that He has for you to win, you can understand that in spite of the fact it's in the context of this particular year, He's greater than that. And He's capable of helping you to win that battle, whatever it happens to be. I'm not sure what that is. For some of you, it'll be a personal battle. It's something, for some of you, there will be a win that will come as a result of, of, it, um, of you trusting the Lord in this situation, even though it's in maybe one of the worst years you can remember in your history. <clears throat> I'm not sure exactly what it is, but I do know this for some of you. In fact, this could apply to all of you, although it may not be prophetic. The battle that God wants all of us to bring and to accomplish and to win is the battle of bringing hope to those people that don't know Christ as Savior. Now, I'm not saying that they're all going to accept Him as their Savior. I'm not saying they're all going to start coming to your church on Sunday. But what I am saying is you have the ability with people that you find on the bus, people at work, wherever you run across these people, you have the ability to bring hope. You're a merchant of hope, if you will. And you have the ability to bring hope to those people that you run across. And leave the salvation up to the Lord. The Lord will guide and direct you in the midst of that. But some of the greatest battles that are going on today in 2020 are not politically found south of the border. Some of the greatest battles that are going on today is the lack of hope that are in people's lives that you, uh, you run across on a daily basis. And as a result of that, <clears throat> if you'll just take a moment every morning and say, Lord, what is it you'd want me to say and who is it you want me to say it to? And then be aware. Keep your eyes open and keep your spirit fresh before him and, and, and intimate before him so he can speak to you. And you'd be surprised when the Holy Spirit will say to you, that one, go talk to her. This one, go talk to him. <clears throat> And that hope, and I've seen this happen on a number of occasions, that hope is so powerful, that encouragement is so enlightening, <clears throat> that I know some people that were going to take their lives were it not for that person's intervening in their day. That's a powerful battle to win. And it doesn't matter what is against you in the context of that person's life, why they brought themselves to that place. <clears throat> what matters is that you're obedient and the Lord who knows all things and is greater than everything is for you and therefore no one can be against you. Three things. God has a provision that He wants to give to you. He has a goal for you to reach and He has a battle 
for you to win. Hear me, if God is for us, <clears throat> no one can be against us. No one. My encouragement to you this morning is you take that scripture and you write it on your heart and you ask the Holy Spirit to make that your life and your modus operandi, if you will, throughout the rest of your life. It'll change everything about you. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, thanks for the opportunity <clears throat> to speak into your word tonight. I ask in Jesus' name that you would help us, Lord, to understand that this truth is our truth. It's not just somebody else's truth. <clears throat> it's not a theologian or a seminary student's truth. It's not a preacher's truth. It's not a super spiritual person's truth. It's our truth. And the reason it's our truth is everything from chapter 5, 6, 7, and 8 that we talked about earlier in the message is absolutely true for all of us. Absolutely true. I am a child of God. I'm a friend of God. I am justified. I have had my sins forgiven. All of that is true. <clears throat> and if that's true, in light of that, God's for me, and therefore no one can be against me. Lord, help us to use our lives to fulfill the destiny you've given us <clears throat> in light of, the, in light of the, the sacrifice on the cross that Jesus made. That's the least that we can do. That's a reasonable service to you this day. And in so doing, may we never look backwards and say, I don't think God's capable of this. I don't think, if, even if he is for us, I don't know if he can overcome this because the scripture tells us that he can. There's nothing that stands in the way of him accomplishing what he wants to accomplish in and through us. <clears throat> so we submit to you today and we give you our lives for that purpose, for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you very much.